The South Dakota Stories, Volume 7. My trip to South Dakota was the best summer ever. Now I don't need to go to Mars because I've been to the Badlands. And I caught a bigger walleye than Dad when we went to the Missouri River. Then I rode my bike through these huge rocks called needles. Ooh, I also saw my first herd of bison, even a fuzzy furry baby one. I can't wait to go back and see more. There's so much South Dakota, so little time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A roast as dark as the night. Perfect for fueling the cryptid research and mad ravings required for your podcasting. Don't mind the red eyes. He's just trying to warn you of the bridge. The bridge. Finally, from the caffeine-addled brains of spring Jack Coffee and last podcast on the left, we bring you Mothman's Red Eye Blend. Yes, delicious Panama beans. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com to order yours today. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Bruiser Hold McNeely, and this is the Jackass episode. Bow, 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 bow. That was a bad impression of the song Corona by the Minutemen, and my co-host is a fucker named... Hi there, I am an unsuspecting <laughs> testicle. Boy, I love feeling safe. I'm surrounded by friends, so clearly nothing bad's gonna happen to me. I'm just a normal testicle. Why would I get randomly attacked and traumatically shattered? <laughs> but, oh no! God, why? I trusted you! I'm I trusted Alligator and all. testicle, I apologize. Uh, it's the boys put me <laughs> up to, you know what I mean? And um, probably some cruelty going on with me, but we don't even know. It wasn't an alligator. In my in my vision, the testicle just got literally kicked at full force yeah, by I think one, one of, of my, my favorite friends. Little things they do sometimes is when there's a prank not involving somebody getting hit in the nuts, and then they just like hit them in the nuts at the end after they just got done doing something painful. Like when uh, Johnny Knoxville mm-hmm. gets rolled down the red carpet uh, down the stairs, and then yeah. he comes out, and then Wee Man stresses the king with like one of those big mallets. He just <laughs> hits him in the nuts. He gets so pissed off. Or the guy with the gong in the Japan scene where he keeps going around and random people <laughs> and hitting and someone else hits the gong and instead they just hit him in the nuts after like the third one. He's like, come on, man. Hold it. What is the psychology of a nut tap? Dude, I used I, to I, fuck As a around, child, man. I thought it very I used to fuck around and find out, and you know, unfair. it comes from adolescent boredom. It is something that will instantly mm. debilitate the, uh, the person very humorously. Genitals, of course, as we know from back in... Greek, uh, what did they call those plays that they used to do? And <laughs> they put on plays where they all had fake dicks and stuff. I mean, the dick has always been 
the center point of a humorousness. And I remember I was so bored uh, in, I think this was probably early high school. I'd be sitting with my friends. One of my favorite things I would do is we're all sitting, hanging out on this bench we would hang out at. There was our bench that we'd go to every lunch period. And I turned to my buddy Jesse and I just hit him so hard in the nuts for no reason, just being a complete asshole. And then immediately just start sprinting in the opposite direction of him and hope to get away from him. That's how bored and angry I was that like no girls liked me. So that's why Jackass spoke to my heart so hard. I wanted to be hanging with these guys. I wanted, I, I, you know, in ways I felt like they were my friend. Isn't that the, the aesthetic, right? I think that doing Jackass has made me think about my time as a member of the round table of gentlemen, which you've appeared on Jake and definitely before that murder fist, the sketch comedy group I did. And it really is that similar vibe. I think this whole, why this topic speaks to me so much and how I've super enjoyed watching the shit out of jackass i have just been i'm like oh it's for research i've just been sitting with my newborn like just watching hour after hour of jackass because there's something so like the opposite of taking care of a newborn about it first of all it's like disgusting it's insane i mean lexi's always sitting with me being like "Uh, winnie don't you mind what's happening on this tv screen but it also (laughs) was like giving getting me so nostalgic and i think having a child just makes you so nostalgic and just in general and so watching things that bring you back to your youth just are so that just there's a power behind that that is so enthralling but yeah and uh, also man it's just fun to see somebody just get hurt and really also comedically and as a comedic comedy historian my last thing i'll say is just that this is just three stooges taken to modern day time oh without (laughs) a doubt it is is like because when I when you think slapstick, when you think uh, Buster Keaton, yeah. uh, Jerry Lewis, uh, yeah, Three Stooges, there's something corny about it. There's something artificial because like everything's exaggerated. The usually the person getting hurt is like, like oh, a gongo, I'm a wacky person. Like it's just not believable. You don't yes. empathize with this person, and even though. The injuries are real. The Hollywood history is full of debilitating injuries, horrifying, like mangling,s and even deaths. Just people in the getting world their knees ripped out of their legs and playing. This. Yeah. Somebody's like, "Oh, it's baseball time!" They're throwing their kneecaps around like a bunch of you know what I mean. It's a nightmare. Yeah, Jackie Chan famously, oh, like on death's door <laughs> constantly. Like the the physical harm and consequences of physical acting, of physical comedy. Is has been ever present, but it's just never like the centerpiece. You're never like made aware of it. And it actually adds to the believability. So like, okay, someone gets like uh, punched in the head. That's like, depending on how it's framed, maybe that's funny. But the magic of a pure jackass stunt segment where it's a likable, uh, it's a likable dude. Uh, who is not unlike any one of your weird-ass friends that you already have, looks directly in the camera and says, Hi, my name is Vint, and this is the (laughs) something or other. They then get visibly scared. They are actively, like, not happy about (laughs) what's about to go down. They are one of their friends, usually an older brother type, usually Johnny Knoxville, goes like, Come on, do it, you little Shirley Temple motherfucker (laughs) or something. And so they like get incensed and they're like, all right, I'm going to do it. This stunt happens. It is visually spectacular and the impact is visible and it is hard. It is like, especially for a generation that grew up on like rotten.com and has seen people die. 
Like you watch Johnny Knoxville or Bam Margera flip on like a jet ski or a shopping cart and their heads hit the fucking pavement with the exact velocity and angle that you're like, oh, that person died. Oh my God, that person died. And there's a moment of stillness and everybody, you can hear the people in the crew being like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then one of them gives the thumbs up and there is riotous applause. People start patting each other's back. It is like exhilarating. And that entire emotional arc, that incredibly addictive experience, that thing that is at once thrilling and terrifying and hilarious and heartwarming, and all of this is happening, the jackass formula is 100% a weird accident that these unique men from all across America and all different walks of life kind of converged upon in the waning hours before uh, 9-11 officially made yeah, everything and, less fun and honestly, it even the crackdown happened even before that for them. I mean, that's why they ended up making movies and why they didn't go past a season three. I mean, everyone immediately were just like, hey, let's think about this for a second. But that's the whole point, right, is that they didn't think about anything and just got into shopping carts and just flung them into curbs and all this kind of stuff. Another thing I will say, though, for them, from a com- uh, comedic perspective, one of the big things I taught, like in sketch writing class, right, is uh, the concept of heightening. And they would always do such Mm -hmm. a good job. I mean, they wouldn't always do it. Sometimes a prank would just be one thing and then they cut to the next thing. But just for example, I was just recently watching an episode where they were playing with a fire hose, just shooting Johnny Knoxville with a fire hose. Mm -hmm. Like, the first time they do it, it's hilarious. They're just shooting him with this fire hose. And and he's just like, that's just funny on its own. But then they, he gets, he sits on a desk chair on wheels or they got Jeff Tremaine, the director actually, in one of his rare, you know, early appearances in a stunt. Like he like rode a skateboard and like got hit with the hose that Mm -hmm. he busted hard on, you know, onto his ass. And these are simple little things, but you know, they'll take this one, you know, or even in as simple as the, the rocket roller skates in the first movie, which, was hilarious they put like you know essentially like fireworks uh, on uh, on roller skates and <laughs> giant knoxville like rode them and it would always be crazy make them bust ass by the last time they do it i mean he's got double loaded rockets right mm-hmm. so every single time you see him do this thing there's just one little extra umph to make it more spectacular to make you just more like en- engrossed in it and or here's another great example is Bam Margera uh, torturing his parents when he does the, uh, again, fireworks inside of the uh, bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. And his dad's got to wake up at six in the morning to go to work and it's just awful. And they're like, God damn it, Bam, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then it cuts to him going into his work van to go to work and holy shit, they set off a, the, another huge thing of fireworks, <laughs> which is just so, you're like, that is so crazy, you know? My, fa- wait, hold, my favorite van. version of that, it, I, I'm ex- I'm giddy because we're sharing <laughs> these. My favorite version of that is, um, I think it's Jackass 2, the beehive limousine, uh, yes. where they just have like Steve-O, Dave, and I think Ryan Dunn, or maybe it was Aaron, whatever. Um, and they like trap them in a limousine, dump live bee, a yes. whole beehive from the sunroof, lock them inside, and then to add insult <laughs> yeah, to injury, yeah. they put a bunch of steel ball bearings and marbles outside the doors of the limo so that when the doors finally open, they just 
Bill ass in the most comically it's wackety schmackety so manner ever. Funny to add that layer, and honestly, Jackass Two I think really is the high water mark, and they do so much of that layering. Of course, the final prank of the film has that layering with the pube beard. They do so much of that. So there's oh all God. of that stuff, and again, like it's it's like yeah, two guys could just run on a tennis court and be maniacs on a tennis court and and freak out all the squares, and that's funny on its own right. But the fact that they're dressed like medieval knights and they're acting and mm-hmm. saying shit at each other like medieval, you know, fake medieval knights and like <laughs> hitting each other like with their swords and their shields. That is just what I think is may it's such a simple touch, but it just makes it so much better. It's so much funnier to see in a comedic sense. And then also I love the probably my favorite part is when stuff actually goes wrong. And again, I think it's to give you that feeling like you're just hanging out with your friends on any given Saturday night doing horrendous boredom shit to to fuck around with each other, fuck around with the world around them. And, you know, and and it goes awry because, of course, it never goes goes to plan or perfectly. My favorite example I was saying uh, before we recorded was actually the the prank where they go. He's supposed to go in to a like hardware store and take a shit in like a toilet that's just sitting out like one of the show toilets. And on the way there, because of the whatever the X lacks kicking in or whatever, mm-hmm. he ends up shitting in the van on the way there, and uh, everybody's like throwing up, jumping out of the van, and it's just this nightmare. And, like he's just like standing in the front seat of the car, just going like, oh, oh, and he's just like <laughs> shitting, like hunched over, and the whole prank fails, right? At least the first attempt, and then he does it later. But when he does it later, it's like funny, but not nearly as funny to me as that scene when it when he accidentally shits himself so yeah there's so much of that vibe as well the the homemadeness and i mean man it's wild going back to that first season and even the second season the sound mixing is so bad it these they were shot yeah on vhs home before even yeah a home video got to the quality that it's gotten to i mean it looks like shit and it didn't matter and i love that we just did the south park episode where we talked about the basic you know, uh, basicness of that animation style and mm-hmm. how it just like, it doesn't matter if the concept is there, especially for kids. Like, you know, it almost, it benefits it that it had such a home video quality to it. And it was just fuckers grossing each other out or doing extreme stuff. So yeah, just, uh, I love J- Jackass. I think it's amazing. It's definitely got an interesting history to it now. At this point, of course, we are doing this, even though I believe they pushed it back again to February of 2022. So yeah. we wanted to do this uh, with the idea that, you know, Jackass Forever is coming out, which is supposed to be the final installment. And uh, uh, now that we're older, we've watched these guys get older with us and seen the toll that that kind of lifestyle can take on some of its members, but also see some of the redemption stories for those guys. And some people who had lifelong, just fantastic careers got to really live their dreams. So it's like a really amazing thing. You can just say Steve-O. You can just say it's really neat that Steve-O somehow is the one that Knoxville had a really nice Hollywood career. That's what he always wanted, you know? And then, of course, the sadder stuff with Ryan Dunn and Bam Margera, which we'll also get into as well. But we're not going to dwell too much on the bummer of the summer, all right? We're going to deal more probably mm. with the dumber of the gummer. What's going on, Jake? It's been a while since I've done one of these. How you doing? Yeah, wow. A little <laughs> shaking the cobwebs loose a little, buddy. I, I stand by beside bummer of the gummer. And if you're one of my gummy boys, let me know by sending me a lascivious picture via Facebook Messenger.
<laughs> but obviously, I think it's fair to say that the story of Jackass begins, as all great stories of the modern age do, with a uh, 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 serialized yes, p- yes. print media. Yes, I, I do want to give this synopsis that I wrote down here, just because it does introduce all of our many characters, because it is a, a collective spanning a few different groups of people, uh, i.e. Uh, just kids fucking shit up that all decided to get together. So uh, I will just say this is a comedy television series that, of course, ended up also being a movie series. Um, it, it was created by Johnny Knoxville, Spike Jones, and Jeff Tremaine, who is the director that you've seen in various things as uh, on, on camera as well. And it's produced by Dick House Productions. That's their production company. It aired for three seasons from 2000 to 2002 on MTV and featured members from the skateboard magazine Big Brother, as well as another skateboard video making outfit at the time called the CKY Crew. The main cast included Johnny Knoxville, Bam Margera, Steve-O, Chris Pontius, Dave England, Ryan Dunn, Aaron McGahee, uh, Jason Weeman Acuna, and Preston Lacey. Of course, there were several other members in the outfit, though, especially at first. Mm-hmm. It was kind of anybody who wanted to send in from these collectives some crazy shit they were doing, and it, it, it could make the cut. It led to, of course, several spinoff shows, the films, uh, and that final iteration, Jagass Forever, coming in early 2022. So... I believe you're re- you're referring to the magazine Big Brother, and I would definitely uh, want to start with Johnny Knoxville approaching Big Brother, and then we'll get into that. I mean, it's it's yeah, Big Brother. It's yeah. it's all based in skater culture, and it's an interesting thing going on because uh, famously, skateboarding has this like feast or famine kind of deal where it gets really big, it gets like full. To use a uh, colloquial term, things go X Games mode, and all of a sudden, there's a ton of money in skateboarding, and then everything kind of goes quiet after a while. Because as a sport, it is actually, uh, you know, it's a very solitary sport. You don't get to have, like, a local team to follow. Um, Individual tricks at a certain technical level are kind of hard to follow, like... Do you know that without Tony Hawk's pro skater, would you even know the difference between a yeah. pop shove it and a kickflip and all these things? And I was happening even going to say with succession. Tony Hawk, I think that was the more kind of Disneyified, uh, packaged for the general masses version of like skate. We'll culture. get into we'll get into but that. Big Brother was like literally. You know, hey, we even talked about, made the big case about how Adult Swim was trying to be like your big brother getting you into shit. This was like your bad boy big brother, the big brother that, you know, like smoked weed and fucking, you Mm -hmm. know, went out and tore shit up and was like a crazy, you know, guy. And you're this little innocent kid and big brother's going to show you all the crazy shit. And there was nudity. There is, you know, stunts and violence. And and there's a fucking article on how to kill yourself. I mean, this is like edge lord. Edge stuff from that time. The magazine Big Brother was released as kind of a fuck you to the major skateboarding magazines. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Thrasher and I forgot the other one. World, uh, no, not Skateboy World. Whatever. There was another one. Was <laughs> yeah, basically. So Steve Rocco, who uh, started the company World Industries along with Rodney Mullen, another name Hell you might remember yeah, from uh, Tony Hawk. He's got Hawk. the good tricks, bro. He does all the standing He's tricks. He's got those funny yeah. street tricks. Uh, but Rocco is absolutely a uh, a rabble rouser. He does not like that the, his ads get censored. He's out there to antagonize and really make a name for World Industries as this bad boy of the skate industry. And after enough of their uh, more salacious ads get kind of uh, turned down, they say, fuck it, we'll do our own thing. And uh, they assemble this 
insane group of people. Jeff Tremaine uh, is brought in as the editor after issue two. Uh, there's just this. I, it's sad to me that like in my lived experience, the closest I can relate to is like, uh, you know, GamePro or EGM where you get to know the actual writers and editors. They become characters within the uh, magazine itself. And very quickly, skateboarding almost becomes secondary to the, what Big Brother magazine is about. Famously, a uh, one of their coverage of the big uh, skateboarding contests in the country at the time, the author uh, drove out there, uh, barely covered the uh, entire contest and just talked about how he was like shacking up with this crazy like heroin addict lady and how he was falling in <laughs> Jeff love Jeff Tremaine her. said we had a tiny little staff slowly we were collecting people who got it they might not have had the most uh, they might not have had the most talent but they definitely had the larger personalities Chris Pontius came through that and I hired Wee Man because he worked at the local skate shop and would just come by all the time he was very unmotivated and a terrible employee also Jake you watched the Big Brother documentary as well right yeah yeah which it's is available great. on Hulu. It's it's so that one's fresh in my mind and how it fits into everything. Uh, we man Daniel Acuna was a uh, I'm sorry, not Daniel Jason. Jason Acuna was uh, a local legend in his part of California, uh, and he quickly kind of became. I don't want to say the mascot because that's insulting the little people, but they enjoyed having him around. Um, Preston Lacey, uh, the the larger gentleman in the Jackass crew, was also there. Uh, Chris Pontius uh, was also a writer who kind of joined in on the Mary Jester escapades. Writers like um, Chris Nirocco and uh, Earl Parker were all kind of taking part in this like bacchanalia uh, kind of extreme thing with crazy articles like mm-hmm. how to buy crack off the street. And all. And um, they would do these very they would take like video stills of skateboard tricks and fill the pages with them so that you can actually see how tricks were done. And that like really influenced the art design. So it had, it it was like mad magazine meets Maxim meets playboy meets uh, just everything all rolled into this rebellious kind of uh, anti-vibe to the more straight-laced mainstream skateboarding magazine. And also in the mix, you have Spike Jones, who, of course, would go on to make being John Malkovich and, uh, you know, just be this incredible music Her. video director, director for Beastie Boys Sabotage music video and a million other things. And uh, he's, in, he's in there as well. He said, in the late 80s and early 90s, no one cared about skateboarders. There was no internet, no other way to communicate. So everyone just made their own videos, and that's how skateboarding communicated with itself. I i.e. not just a magazine, they needed to put out these mixtape bootleg videos, which were like all the rage at the time. We'll talk about CKY crew in just a second doing their own version of that. But they put out one, definitely made a name for itself, and definitely spoke to a young Johnny Knoxville. Johnny Knoxville, he grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, his father was a car salesman. Mother taught Sunday school. His singer-songwriter cousin, uh, cousin Roger Allen Wade, who we'll mention again later in this episode, he gave him a copy of Jack Kerouac's On the Road. This book has a huge influence on him. Uh, this really speaks to my heart because between On the Road and then also he was heavily inspired by uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, and it was Fear and Loathing Las Vegas and On the Road that also w- were books that I read when I was a kid that essentially influenced me to like just try to live differently and, and carve my own path <laughs> in life, though. I didn't carve it in such an insane way as Johnny Knoxville. Uh, and here's uh, what I mean by that. He moves to California after high school and he's 
pursuing acting. At the time, he's got a wife and an infant child. He's desperate. He starts out doing commercials, ESPN, Mountain Dew, Bud Light. But he also knew he needed to create his own work uh, because he was so desperate to feed his family. So he comes with up with, quote, an idea for an article where I would test different types of self-defense equipment on myself. A few magazines wanted the story, but nobody wanted the liability. Everybody was fine with the pepper spray and the stun gun and the taser gun. Where it got shady it was where I was testing a bulletproof vest with a 38. The only magazine that would do it was Big Brother. And so, yes, Tremaine especially... Um, talks to him, says, fuck it, you're crazy, let's do it. And they include this segment that Knoxville pitched that he ends up filming himself in Big Brother's second video entitled Number Two. All right, so we have to talk about this because this segment is essential to jackass lore. This is what introduces uh, Johnny Knoxville to the world of Big Brother. This is what they always point to as his first quote-unquote stunt. And um, what is most memorable about because the uh, you can find the video online you can find the whole skate video and you know there's fun bails there's a few pranks there's like cool montages but then when it gets to Johnny Knoxville's uh, segment uh, famously uh, Loomis the weird ratty dude with the crazy beard yeah. who shows up in jackets a lot was like f- helping film this he like gets sprayed by pepper spray he like gets tased, all this stuff. He gets the barbs from the distance taser jammed in his flesh and he's like pulling him out. Uh, but Tremaine talks about how in the entire history of his like doing this combination video slash magazine. Yes. He never had someone who actually was camera trained, someone who could actually look down the barrel and be like, hi, I am hosting and taking you through this stuff. But when Johnny Knoxville goes to test the uh, gun or test the bulletproof vest with a gun, it feels like a snuff film. The camera is shaking because Loomis is the only one who is willing to accept the responsibility for like maybe watching (laughs) his friend die. The gun like misfires at first, so he has to go through the entire cylinder again. And it is tense, it is weird. Uh, April, I already sent you the isolated audio. Just like listen to the fucking tension and craziness and the fear as soon as the gun goes off. This was uncanny. This was insane to witness at the time. Let's fucking go. Forget it. Let's go. Just leave it on. My heart is pumping to this day watching that footage. It is crazy. And so now they've got, I love the idea too of like all these guys are such like crazy bros or whatever, but none of them can just talk into a camera (laughs) at this point. Even Steve-O talks about how awkward he was initially with just taking on that role of like MC for stunts and stuff. Now, while this is all going on, there's this other group who are also big in skateboard culture, and they're making these mixtapes themselves over in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and they're called CKY Crew. This stands for Camp Kill Yourself, uh, because of course, and they were also becoming cold hits uh, with these tapes that they're circulating. Also, CKY is the name of a band. They're just in, they're doing the whole Um, thing. I'm sorry, are you just, are you just casually talking about the band that released 96 Quite Bitter Beings <laughs> as some band. I'm sorry. You literally cannot watch footage of 
men in their uh, early 20s destroying their bodies without hearing. With the shopping cart videos that Bam Margera and, and Fam were making. Yeah, no, it was in CKY's. Uh, it was uh, what's Jeff Margera? God, I do not His have brother. my notes together at yeah, all yeah. this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bam's brother, big, big key player in that. Jess, Jess, Jess Margera. So, I'm sorry. yes, uh, speak of the devil, uh, the main honcho of this group really comes out as Bam Margera for sure. He gets the nickname Bam Bam from his grandfather because he would purposely run into walls as a kid. So his classmates ended up shorting, shortening that to Bam. After his junior year of high school, he drops out, starts making videos of himself and his friends skateboarding, doing stunts. This would serve as the basis for the CKY video series. The crew also consisted of Ryan Dunn, Brandon DiCamillo, uh, Rob himself, and Raycheon, uh, as well as you said, Je- Jess Margera. And uh, these will all become jackass players so as well. Bam Margera is a fascinating guy because he was, if uh, Johnny Knoxville and Chris Pontius and uh, and Wee Man were part of Big Brother, Bam Margera was little like brother, the little yeah. brother of this <laughs> Completely. crew. And so many times in these videos, there is this total like Big Brother, Little Brothers scenario, like relationship between Knoxville and Margera and the kind of competitiveness and the kind of like weird, like seeking of approval. And like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking obviously again in Jackass 2 when they're, um, uh, when they're in front of the uh, rubber bullet, like Claymore, and Knoxville is like having to dare Margera and Dunn into like doing it. And like, he's just covering his face. Um, or when uh, with the cobra, the cobra trap yeah. where they trick him in the wind tunnel and then uh, shove yeah, him in a the horrible thing fear of snakes. Cobra. So they, yeah, they're always. Yeah, yeah. And Knoxville's like, are you crying? <laughs> and Margera's just super sincere being like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is my greatest fear of all time. Uh, yeah, for sure. But Margera was a child prodigy in the Pennsylvania yeah. skating scene. He was honestly on the track to just be a legitimate skateboard star. He was the only guy I knew of from anything else because I was a fan of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the video game. Yeah. And he was featured on there. And to be featured on there meant you were, you know, a very, you know, prominent member of the scene. Competitive. Funnily enough, uh, there is footage of a like 13 year old Bam Margera. Uh, hanging out near the love statue in Philadelphia, skateboarding with his uh, dad, Phil, uh, you know, and the big brother crew is like, hey, look at this little guy. Ah, oh, well, see you later. <laughs> like not knowing that their past would be so tied. So funny. And it really does add this really important element of like quality tricks mixed with the comedy, right? Mm-hmm. So you'd actually see some crazy trick skate tricks happen, but they're wearing, you know, a chicken costume or something like that. And, you know, that it just it legitimizes them in this interesting way, having these professionals. Of course, they also get BMX star Matt Hoffman and Tony Hawk himself to be a part of these, as, long, as well as many other very, you know, high-quality skateboard folks that, that used to be taken for granted. I feel like are now treated with a lot better respect, as we've seen even skateboarding enter the Olympic Games and things of that nature more recently. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
The savings rock when you find a new way to roll, like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. But the uh, CKY house style, which was kind of assembled by Bam and uh, video footage shot by his dad, his, uh, you know, it's one of those weird things where just of the skateboarders in the 90s, uh, Bam's dad just happened to be a weird video buff and just happened to enjoy filming his son. And that kind of helped uh, kind of create a love for filmmaking and video making. And so supposedly there's a amazing Bam Margera documentary available on Vice, I think actually later or something like that, um, where they talk about how Bam would put together these skate videos and show his friends and his friends would kind of get bored after watching the third amazing transition hop from one bowl to another and just kind of go like, eh, whatever. And so he started adding these little sketches and his friends really loved the sketches and his friends kind of like pushed him to combine skating and comedy and the uh, pranks and the energy and the editing that uh, you associate with Jackass is kind of um, more from the CKY crew and their videos than the Big Brother videos. Yeah. Uh, hell, one of the, the shopping cart, mm -hmm. the shopping cart is yeah. absolutely born from CKY, uh, causing these big public displays and like pranking uh, the normies is definitely like, uh, you know, Rob or uh, Brian just, yeah, freaking out normies in the middle of this innocuous Westchester, Pennsylvania town. And like that fed off of, you know, Johnny Knoxville talks about how he would watch CKY videos and be like, oh, we got to do more pranks. Yeah. Like it was this weird atmosphere. And that's the other part, right? Is the, you know, uh, first of all, you mentioned the every townness of the CKY stuff. And that even invades jackasses. They're still filming their shit for jackass like in Westchester, right? But then also on top of that, the parental torment. And that was such a big part. And this got really popular because uh, I know Tom Green was kind of a bit, was, was kind of, was definitely a big deal preceding this. And then Bam would torture his parents and his parents were again, talking about every town, they were such every parents. They were just, could not come off as more like, your parents, you know, like any, 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 any place you grow up, they just were, or you knew parents like that. And the way they'd react was so funny and genuine. And it just added this great element again of making you feel like, wow, these are like just people I would know or want to hang out with, like in my dumb town I'm growing up the in. The right Margera's now. house is yes. the most like pitch perfect kind of upper middle class suburban house totally. that you could imagine. And all the shit happening in that house made you relate to it so much more yeah. than, I would say, Johnny Knoxville, handsome movie actor, uh, doing some bad grandpa shit on Rodeo Drive. Yeah, and like that stuff's also awesome and, and draws you in. But yeah, that's, that's what we need. And then we also need 
the circus to come to town, and that would be with Steve-O. Steve-O's family moved a lot as a kid from London to Brazil to Venezuela to the States. This this blew my mind. Did you know this going into this? Because I did not in my know head, this. I know a lot about Steve-O going into this. I've watched the documentary about his addiction and uh, mm. recovery. I've, I've been following him for so long. I've listened to him, hours of him on different podcasts. But yeah, I didn't know about this. So I, in my head, in the canon, in the loose history that I kind of just inferred from following Jackass over the years, there was the Big Brother crew. And, you know, it was uh, these magazine guys and then Johnny Knoxville movie star is the ringleader. And then there was the CKY crew. And then like this freak show dude clown man from Florida who was desperate for attention, kind of hounded them and like followed them around and one up themselves and like put his body on the line and got their attention and got roped into it. And this this weird sideshow trailer man (laughs) got to be famous. And that's all he wanted. (laughs) Wrong. Dead wrong. Steven Steve O'Glover is the child of a multi multinational executive who talks about how he had to go to an elite private school and had to like he would go by chauffeur in the morning with his dad and he would sit in front and hug the driver so that his classmates didn't know how rich he was. <laughs> he got moved to Brazil. His first words were in Portuguese because his dad was the president of PepsiCo in Brazil. He was, his dad was like the head of Del Monte Fruit at one point, the head of Nabisco. He was like an insanely wealthy, jet-setting, international child of the elite. Uh, but there was a sadness to him because uh, his mother struggled with alcoholism her entire life. Uh, her entire family is filled with mental illness and addiction. Uh, and his father was very aloof and very distant, always working all the time. And um, he ends up in... Florida to attend the University of Miami and he immediately drops out and he feels this overwhelming crush of failure this weird uh kind of he's already filming himself though yep. he's uh his favorite trick is jumping off of buildings into swimming pools around Miami but he failed out of school he's directionless he he knows he wants to be a part of this like big brother cool skateboarding stunt scene because he was a childhood skateboarder and he sees that's where like the energy and intensity and intention is but he wasn't that good of a skateboarder. Um, so like he knew that wasn't his path to fame. He just, this overwhelming fear of death and this understanding that like he doesn't, no matter what, he does not want to be forgotten and no, and ignored like his parents did, um, causes this insane ramp of self-destruction. And at a certain point, he attends the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus uh, Clown College, which uh, according to him, is uh, harder to get into than Harvard, thinking that the skill set there will, again, help him be the clown prince of stunt, skate, outsider, whatever the fuck is emerging in this scene. But my dude is a little Lord Fauntleroy <laughs> gone bad, yeah, and I totally, have no yeah, fucking it, clue. And it explains almost as, like, the you know what? I'm going to say it. The entirety of the Jackass crew <laughs> has big, my parents moved around a lot as yeah. a kid energy. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, yeah, and he ends up, unfortunately, not getting to join Ringling Brothers after that, which is probably a bit of a crushing blow for him, because instead he ends up a clown in his circus at the Fort Lauderdale Swap Shop flea market uh, in Florida, and he would film stunts and clown performances on the side, and he would send these videos over to Big Brother. He said, I made it my mission to track those guys down. 
down. My attitude was nobody needed to like me. They just needed to put me in the magazine. Tremaine then notices that he is sending in some great shit. He pulls them in as they are starting to talk about pitching a television show. Now, of course, to complete the cast, we also have Dave England's friend. Dave England was already a member of the Big Brother group. Uh, his buddy was extreme stunt performer Aaron McGahee, and also uh, they got Preston Lacey. I hope this is true. Uh, I read this online. Whose audition consisted of eating four bananas with the peels on. Uh- <laughs> Good for him. That's <laughs> so good. So anyways, they are now like, hey, why don't we A, no one thinks that this is, by the way, ever going to hold water. This is like this. They're just like, fuck it. Let's, you know, people, the kids love these tapes. It's, you know, it's a it's a concept. We've got a we've got a crew here. Let, let's let's see if we can get a show on the it's, TV. It's honestly it really feels like Jeff Tremaine. Uh, wanted something more. Maybe he saw the writing on the walls. At some point, Big Brother magazine was sold by Steve Rocco because it turns out it had not been making, it was actively losing money every issue. Turns out a big glossy color magazine uh, with a bunch of dildos and giant turds everywhere (laughs) uh, does not bring in the advertising bucks like he thought it would. It's sold to Larry Flint. Um, The magazine has tons of like, it's the subject of a million, you know, pearl clutching controversies because what if the children saw the turds <laughs> and the titties? Um, famously, due to a uh, some kind of records error mm-hmm. at uh, Flint Publishing Group, subscribers to Big Brother magazine were accidentally sent an issue of Taboo, uh, the most hardcore of Larry Flint's uh, portfolio. Supposedly, it was the fisting issue. <laughs> That was sent to probably a lot of skateboarding tweens. (laughs) Uh, So here's what then president of entertainment at MTV, Brian Graydon, had to say. We got pitched a stunt show every other week. But when I saw their video, it was clear they were taking such a joy from it. It wasn't a TV exercise. It was what these guys were doing anyway for their own amusement. You couldn't fake that. And if we could just preserve it, we had a show. Steve-O said, Jeff told me to put together all the video footage I had and send it in. A little while later, he told me not a single clip cleared MTV. We weren't allowed to play with fire, and I was always on fire. We weren't allowed to jump off stuff higher than a certain height, and I was always on fire (laughs) jumping off stuff from too high. So my first thought was, what kind of pussy-ass show is this? <laughs> my favorite anecdote of this era was um, Tremaine talks about how he consulted his successful Hollywood friend, Spike Jones. Uh, Spike Jones, of course, having edited tons of skating videos and uh, was in the BMX scene for a while. So he was part of that circle. Uh, was like, you know, what is, is it Knoxville hosting? And then there's like interviews. Is it like a big reality show? Or are they characters? What's happening? And Jones was like, no, you already have the videos. It's it's yeah. it's the yeah. Big Brother videos. That's the show. And if you watch those Big Brother videos, the Chiron with the name on the front, the fast edits, the kind of zero transitions between segments, it's almost perfect for MTV. Yeah. And during the waning years of them showing music videos, because MTV was about kind of tuning in, not necessarily being committed to a single show and kind of just letting the images and coolness wash over you. It was kind of, it was music videos without the music. And I've even said this, I feel this way about a sketch comedy show. And the same as even back, you know, in the day having a lot of actor friends and needing to see a lot of like uh, amateur acting performances. 
I always preferred to see a night of different scenes or a show of just monologues because at least at the end of the day, even if you don't like what you're watching, mm-hmm. it's going to change in the next couple minutes. It's going to keep moving. You're just never going to get like you're just never going to get bored because they're always going to be throwing some new shit at you. And in the beginning, it was incredibly guerrilla style as as uh, of course they were just talking about Knoxville did a stunt early on where he wore an L.A. County jail prison uniform and runs into a hardware store screaming for someone to help him saw his <laughs> cu- handcuffs off. Uh, the cops were called. Uh, they were waiting for him when he walked outside with dr- guns drawn, and he had a like full-on standoff. Now, of course, since then, they would usually talk to the owner of the store and make sure they knew they were coming, but that the employees did not, those sorts of things. I mean, this was the wild, wild west for sure at the very beginning, and... Uh, as that said, you know, they didn't think this was going to go anywhere. Spike Jones said, when the show came out, nobody expected to last more than the first eight episodes that MTV had paid us to do. We just thought we were getting away with murder by getting somebody to give us money to put whatever we wanted on TV for half an hour on national television. Wee Man said, I seriously thought maybe one or two episodes would air and then the network would cut it off. Next thing you know, it was fucking huge, man. We couldn't even put them out as fast as people wanted them. And yeah, this is uh, back in April of 2000 is when the show first aired and all of a sudden they're all celebrities overnight I mean this was such a hit and I even remember it at the time I don't even know what to compare it to today because what I hate there's nothing yeah because what I see now is like I was even watching uh, on Reddit recently there was a quote unquote TikTok prank where this fucking dickhead kid just goes up to this guy's shopping cart and starts like taking his shit and like opening his bag of chips Mm -hmm. just being a fucking asshole and I think that people don't realize like what made this work it was like it seemed like a group of friends that all really loved each other. I also like, I have a quote I'll get to later, but I'll just say it in general now that they, they always, they never like necessarily were like making the other people feel like shit in the pranks. They were always like, they were the butt of the joke. They were the ones kind of in the awkward, you know, they would definitely put people in awkward situations. Okay. I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't want to grind this to a halt. I'm just going to say I had the horrible postmodern English major instinct to be like, well, time to ins- let's see what toxic male uh, patriarchy I will witness. Yeah. Oh, toxic masculinity. Ahoy. The show is so fucking positive and so like really considerate and like kind of a vision. There's episodes like I've been rewatching 30 Rock. 30 <laughs> Rock has more like problematic shit in it than Jackass yeah, does. At even though this it's point. a bunch of white dudes being crazy, but yeah. there's just some, you know, yeah, there's there's a, a care taken in the in the pranks. And I think, you know, you definitely have prank shows that have been successful since that also have this, but I think that's where so many people, like, especially dude bros on YouTube and TikTok, fucking fail because they're such fucking assholes. And 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 even though other asshole kids like to see stuff like that it's why it doesn't make it you know something legendary that that continues to be beloved by people the difference between a episode of jackass and a tiktok video where a kid literally just picks up a gallon of milk in the middle of a supermarket and slams it on the ground and runs away is like night and day uh that being said there are tons of youtube channels with like millions and millions of uh subscribers 
that do have like this crew sure. and have that kind of uh, aesthetic where it's like me and my buddies fucking around. Like, yeah, I mean, yo, round, yo, yo. round table of gentlemen. It was an audio thing, but I think that's why people love it so much because, you know, it's genuinely a group of good fucking friends in New York who all are com- very different in, <laughs> in these ways, but also very like extreme and kind of put throwing it on the table because mm-hmm. we literally were just dudes and a lady going through our twenties as comics in New York city. And when it was just crazy. So yeah, I, I totally, totally get that. Um, so the show, Oh wait, mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for the record, there was a bidding war for the original pilot, uh, in an alternate universe. Jackass could have been a show on comedy central or a recurring segment on Saturday night live, which blows my mind. The very idea that like, Ja- what we now know as Jackass was somehow swallowed up into the Lorne Michaels like machine. Yes. And like what like would they on network television? It would never have worked. It would have been weird. I feel like it would have uh, aired for a couple, you know, and then it would have gotten taken down. I think they would actually have gotten taken down. Yeah. Uh, airing there. And then but maybe that would have made him popular enough to be able to go into other avenues. But yeah, the MTV was such a better fit, even though this was the end. This was like the last one of these, I think, that got to happen on MTV before it just became so, you know, I, ridiculousness. Record low ratings for the VMAs this year. It Less than a million a bad, It was pretty, watched. you know, there's some good performances there. But regardless, they all become incredibly famous. Knoxville says, I probably had a little too much fun. I definitely didn't handle it as well as I could have. Jeff Tremaine said, were some people handling success better than others? Yeah, definitely. Steve-O was all about the fame. He wanted it so bad, whereas Pontius could give two shits. He didn't change at all. And Bam was already kind of a little celebrity in his world. But even Bam talked about how everybody was just being so immediately fake. Everybody wouldn't even give me the time of day. Now they want to be my best friend. And I mean, that it definitely alienated some like him. It, it, other people were just like, finally, my time, my calling for, like, for Steve-O. But everybody's just getting fucking hammered, too. I mean, these are kids young, immediately famous, immediately a big deal. And they're a big deal for getting crazy, getting fucked up and going out and doing crazy shit. I mean, shit. I, I, I feel like maybe the last podcast people have it worse in this regard than <laughs> we do. Uh, but like the very idea that, okay, yes, you, you went crazy in a controlled setting. You went nuts. You like filmed long hours in exotic locales. You got fucked up. You put on diapers and you pissed on each other like, haha, fun times. But then you go out into the world and everyone you meet sees you as the avatar yeah. of going ape shit. So like no matter where you go, you have to be in ape shit mode. Yeah, that's like totally. a curse. Of man. course, eventually there that. were young imitators as well trying to emulate the boys on the show. And then you have the conservatives in government, as you said, the pearl clutchers uh, that are going after the extreme content. Steve-O said it was wildly popular. The kids started showing up in hospitals. There were a lot of copycat incidents. It was crazy. There weren't particularly lawsuits at that time, and there was certainly a great deal of fear in the corporate world of MTV and legal that the liability was a problem. The first big incident was on January 26, 2001. A teen in Connecticut named Eric Lind accidentally set himself on fire, inspired by the show. And this leads to a senator of Connecticut at the time, Joe Lieberman. Oh, f- don't act like this isn't the first time Joe Lieberman showed up on our episodes, man. <laughs> fucking Joe fucking Lieberman. And I can say this as a fellow Jew. <laughs> fuck that guy. Fuck oh, him man, hard. I wish I could tell him to go fuck himself, but I'm not a Jew. That is, that is anti- <laughs> Semitic. How dare you say go fuck yourself to Joe Lieberman? Now, where was I? 
Fuck Joe Lieberman, man. <laughs> Fuck him so dumb. Loser ass, wrinkle prune face. You, uh, okay, you want to know what it is? Uh, Mortal Kombat needing uh, a fucking driver's license to buy. That's fucking Joe Lieberman. <laughs> uh, the entire Bush administration, by extension, the Iraq war. Joe Lieberman's fault. I blame him. I, bl- I don't blame Gore. I blame Lieberman. Uh, fucking health killing, Ob- killing the public option in Obamacare. Fucking Lieberman. You, we can't have nice things because of Joe fucking Lieberman. I can say that as a fellow member of the Hebrew race. (laughs) Johnny Knoxville said it was an election year and Joseph Lieberman, the senator, decided to be tough on Hollywood as part of his campaign platform. He singled the show and MTV out. And after that, the screws came down on us. We had a safety guy assigned to our show. We couldn't jump off anything higher than four feet. And it just became ridiculous to the point where it was no longer possible to do the show we wanted to. Preston Lacey said... It was a strange time. My picture was on 2020. Me and my underwear. All my family saw it, so I wasn't a big fan of that. <laughs> First big red flag for the show is when they turned in a stunt called Vomlet, in which Dave England eats an omelet, then pukes it into a skillet, then they feed the recooked vomlet to Stevo. The powers that be said they couldn't do that because of the pathogens in the air from the puke fumes, and that they would need to be wearing hazmat suits, which they declined to do, as according to Knoxville, it just sucked the funny right out of it. Johnny Knoxville also said, I felt that we couldn't do a watered-down version of the show, so I quit. In hindsight, I don't know how smart a move that was, because who did I think I was? I hadn't had any action for 10 years in Hollywood, and suddenly we have a hit show, and I quit? Since no matter when it would air, though... MTV would get these amazing ratings. I mean, it's such a cheap show to make, and it's like a guaranteed rating getter. And so they're just like, how do we get these guys back? No, wait, I'm sorry, but the guy ruined it. And he might be Jewish, but I don't know because I'm not Jewish. And now we need good, you. Good, good, good. <laughs> and now we need you back because you're so easy and successful, but it's just stop setting yourself on fire or whatever you're doing. And uh, so um, they struggled to figure out a place for them. Uh, but luckily for them, uh, for all also, parties Also, the kid's involved, trying to copycat, man. They're doing it dumb. I know. Like, they're not even getting any rocket bicycles. They're not even getting any, like, crazy bungee device. They're just like, oh, I'm going to do a jackass. And then just, like, literally throw themselves at a movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not- Where's the heightening? Where's the medieval costume? the timing, the It just so happened, though, that uh, MTV Networks, the president at the time, had just launched MTV Films and was in search of a sketch movie, a a variety-type movie. And, of course, you know, they were a perfect fit. So it was also this perfect medium where, oh, you can just do a crazy movie, and as long as you get the R rating and not NC-17... You can be way more off the leash than you were with MTV, especially by the third season. And it just seemed like it was the best way to really for Jeff Tremaine end the whole thing. He said, we wanted to send it off with a proper goodbye and doing the movie gave us more freedom because one, it was going to be R-rated for a mature audience so we could do more without little kids being influenced by it. Also, a bigger budget to do crazier shit. And uh, Tremaine also said the head of Paramount at the time loved this person, Wanna wanna tell this person how awesome they are. The uh the head of Paramount pulled him aside and said, just make sure it's bigger and crazier than anything you guys did on TV. So that is just perfect, right? They they're asking them to really go for it to shoot their shot. I wonder if it's the same guy at Paramount who was like 
who had to deal with the South Park guys because uh, Paramount was also South Park. I think it's Sherry Lansing hmm. is the person, maybe, uh, who I believe is a lady, and uh, yeah, who was the per- who was the real champion who saw the the potential for this as this crazy plotless. By the way, completely plotless. Are film. they even movies, Holden? What is a movie? <laughs> I know, right? It's just watching ten men hurt themselves for I an hour and a half. A movie, Jackass One and Jack. I didn't see Jackass Two in the theaters. I don't know why. I've, I've of course since remedied that by watching it home but jackass one and jackass 3d two of my favorite movie theater experiences i've ever had they're inc- it's an incredible theater <laughs> it's experience the funnest movie theater experience ever there's just a big room full of people it's like you're all on a big couch together everyone's screaming with laughter everyone's hammered it's just so enjoyable it's it's screaming with laughter and then screaming in disgust when yes. Dave England shoots liquid shit everywhere on like you can almost taste it. It's so cl- it's so clear. I got sad when it ended. Like <laughs> it was just so good. And I remember Jackass 3D I ended up watching. We went to the MoMA and saw a bunch of like fancy art. We were fancy art people for the afternoon. And then uh, we were like, what do we want to do next? I was like, dude, let's do the opposite. Let's go get shitty and go see Jack. Let's go get a bunch of tall boys and go see Jackass 3D. And it was like the best summer day ever. But I digress. And I think it was raining too. And we had to run in from the rain. It was just one of those perfect New York days. Either way, either day. I will also just say, luckily, they did as well have Spike Jones's involvement. And by this point, he had made Being John Malkovich. He also made Human Nature. He was a filmmaker in his own right, understood the Hollywood filmmaking process. And his influence probably is what made that film more legitimized in terms of its flow, in terms of its pro- packaging, just all of it. So, you know, that big opening number. You could say it got their penis in the door. Oh, and then that door slammed shut on the <laughs> penis and we all laughed. And then everybody went, oh! And then my favorite, I, can I also just say really quickly another thing that I forgot to mention up top with how, why I love it. My favorite shit is watching the crew members trying not to throw up <laughs> and then eventually throwing up. <laughs> At something else, not even on screen, that they're grossed out by. There's like nothing funnier to me than that. Because you know it's got to be terrible because they've seen everything. They're the camera guys. And to watch them be like, oh, oh, it's just like there's something so fucking funny about that. Uh, So... Also in this movie, they really kind of define the main crew. Because if you go back and watch the show, it's very, the scope is very widened in terms of the people involved. I mean, there are standouts, but there's all sorts of names you see from all these different collectives. Steve-O said, All Jackass really was for us was a grand battle for screen time. There was never any one guy having a preferred position or status. They would list us in a certain order, uh, but beyond that, the one determining factor for screen time was just great footage. It's that simple. To the credit of Spike Jones, Knoxville, and Tremaine, there was never any ego. They never featured one guy more. The only criteria was just the quality of the footage. By quality, I mean, like, how gnarly is it? The phrase footage is super <laughs> yeah, funny yeah. to me because I, 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 the I don't know why I keep uh, harping on this. I just feel like it encapsulates so much of the jackass dynamic in a way that like it almost feels like they shouldn't have included it. That that rubber bullet claymore thing, where Bam and Ron and Dunn are like, no, no, this is. Uh, I think Dave England like literally is like he actually says no because they see it tested and the velocity and the explosion and the sheer violence that this device is capable of like spooks them to their core and they're like this is no this is this is horrible there's nothing to and all Maxwell says is 
come on, it's footage. <laughs> it's footage. And that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Because they, at the end of the day, it's just about getting those shots and getting those reactions and like getting something that'll evoke something in the audience. And getting the best craziest shit was that it's just this renewed energy for them making this first film. Knoxville set, it's a very nerve-wracking set. It starts off with everyone having energy, but by the last month or two, people are crying and falling apart mentally and emotionally. You can tap someone on the shoulder with your finger and they'll jump. It's a pretty combative set. I mean, because there were constant little shots in that first movie, especially the biggest one was the hair shaving prank, right? Mm. Bam Margera went around with a razor, with a, uh, a, a barber, like clipper, clipper razor, and would go around and, and just like fuck people's heads up essentially and that was just one example i mean you could never fully put your guard down mcgay he said my mind is definitely in a ptsd state and has been for a very long time because every time i go around a corner i'm not sure if there's going to be a giant hand that slaps me in the face oh the high five in jackass three is so so good i'd be at home in portland and we'd come back for like two weeks but that whole time i was home i had anxiety thinking about the two weeks from now i was going to have to leave again and do some stuff that literally might kill me and he is also by the way the 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 terrorist prank victim i believe right that's him yeah 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 (laughs) that he gets it the worst possibly so not to plug another podcast but there's a great uh film criticism podcast that i really enjoy called uh generation loss and they did a jackass uh two episode and they had this very weird little thing where uh it was 2000, it was 1999, it was literally, you know, uh, the end of the Clinton era, the beginning of George W. Bush, pre-9-11, and this was an era that people, like, genuinely thought world conflict had ended. The Soviet Union fell, the dot-com boom was, like, raging, everything was going to be peachy keen forever, and all you had to do was, like, show up to your cushy office job and live in middle-class splendor, and that was going to be, uh, you know, liberal capitalism forever, hooray. And what Jackass captures, that fear, that camaraderie, that confronting death and then emerging the other side, usually physically harmed, but still like surviving and being emboldened and like with a band of brothers around you forever because of having gone through the experience. That is war. That is like in a world where young men no longer had to fear getting drafted. The jackass crew somehow replicated the bonding experience <laughs> of going to war for comedy's sake. It's funny you said that. I don't think I pulled the quote, but one of them literally said that. They were like, I know it's not war like in the traditional sense, but it really did feel like we've gone off to war mm-hmm. and that we we are this, you know, that in, in all, especially in the sense that there's no one else will understand what we've gone through. And I think that's the key element, right? Like when it comes to someone returning home. A young man's coming of age is about confronting fear. It is about feeling the fear and moving forward anyway. And it is so relatable. And it just so happens that the guys doing this were incredibly funny and had good timing and good editors. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
So going back to that first film for one little, a uh, 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 couple more little factoids, I'll just say they uh, they definitely had to cut some stuff. Uh, there was a whole Rube Goldberg contraption style sequence that they wanted to do at the end that I believe they since either replicated or did because I definitely saw it, I think, in one of the like 1.5 or 2.5, mm. one of the ex- with the extra footage uh, films they put out. But uh, they had to cut that because it just didn't quite work. Um, and uh, Ryan Dunn actually shoving the toy car up his ass uh, was actually f- cut, the actual him shoving it up as it was deemed too pornographic, but it still ended up being essentially their closer for that first movie. Um, Spike Jones said, when Jeff came back from Florida with the piece with Ryan and the toy car, he was like, we got the closer. We sat down watching Assembly and everyone was like, yes, this is it. It was kind of a relief. To this day, it's a piece that I can go back and watch just because Ryan is so good in it. It really does capture how sweet he is. He was so effortlessly funny and dry and great. Quietly very wry and very funny and self-deprecating. All he had to do was make a dejected look over at the camera and it was the best thing. It was so funny because I think we initially thought that the ender had to be this big huge thing and we actually even shot an ender that was really big but it just didn't really work that well it wasn't that funny referring to the rube goldberg thing we realized the ender just means the best piece and that was ryan with the toy car up his butt and uh just wanted to share that because i thought a i think it's really interesting that they realized like no it's just like the strong it was more about the humanity in that whole sequence the and just the way that they're all like laughing at each other and having the best time together doing this prank on this <laughs> with this uh, with this car up the toy car up the butt going to the doctor all that good stuff. Um, but also a testament to Ryan Dunn, as we know. We'll, of course, we'll acknowledge the the tragedy uh, that involved uh, the end of his life uh, not too long from now. So I did love that summarization, but. Uh, or that summary summarization. Somebody's gonna be like, "That's not a word." I don't. I, you know what? That's it's a, a word. word now. Is it summarization? It's always it's been like a when word. you summer up a place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless, they did have a line they drew. I love this. I didn't think Steve-O had a line, but he does. I wouldn't do anything that I perceive to put my spinal cord or my life in jeopardy. Those are my two rules. Paralysis and death are not on the table. Uh, Knoxville. He he does stuff early on in the show's run, but by the movies, he definitely stopped doing anything with. Cold, mm-hmm. Speedos, and the gross stuff. He said, I like more of the things that deal with gravity and blunt force trauma, <laughs> which I think is hilarious to say that out loud. Bam didn't like the naked stuff or stuff with bulls. Uh, he did do one thing with a bull in Jackass 2, and you can see how fucking terrified he is. Of course, he also hates snakes. So they're always like throwing snakes at him. Pontius only wanted to avoid the mean, and I love that. Pontius said, Jackass is about us being the butt of the joke in the end. I don't ever want to do anything mean. It's supposed to just be mean to us. That's really the only role. I mean, one of the only ones where he made people uncomfortable was his party boy character, mm-hmm. and even that was the most like non-violent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's just dancing. Where he just rip his uh, his, uh, uh, like jumper jumpsuit off, and he would just be wearing a speedo, and he'd put on music. He'd just be dancing on uh, at people. Just Chris Pontius's ass is just a thing of beauty. And honestly, if I had that bubble butt, I would be showing it off as often as I could. It was also like the the homoeroticness of some of that stuff, or just the ability to like wear a speedo and just be like kind of flaunty and stuff. That was also, I think. Uh, different for the time and people really lo- I loved it I loved how comfortable they were watch- watching them just be so comfortable in their own bodies they were naked a lot yeah just, it was so refreshing it was like you know I think it kind of did uh, open some doors on on some stuff like that especially in comedy a lot of uh, Wee Man sketches would uh, I mean in 
besides uh, bits like stunts where his physical size would like contribute to the physics and hilarity of what was happening. I think the bungee one where him and Lacey were like attached on. They did a bungee jump where yes. Wee Man oh, was God, attached was to Preston rough. Lacey. Yeah. And then Preston gets yanked off by Wee Man. He falls faster as Wee Man is bouncing back up on the bungee tension. And then Lacey's weight yanks the bungee and slams Wee Man back. Whatever. Fun physical comedy. <laughs> uh, but a lot of Wee Man sketches just is about like his par- presence as a little person and how like it's. And he's like normalizing it. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of the sketch where they're at a bar and he's with another little person. And then a third little person comes in and starts accusing like the. Yes. That he's like, hey, you stole my boyfriend. And they start fighting in the middle of this dive bar. Then two cops come in and they're yes. also little people. <laughs> and then two EMTs come in who are also little people. And it's all just like heightening and heightening and heightening. And just the joke is the joke is not like, ha ha, look at these short people. The joke is like. This seems very unlikely. <laughs> this is a very unlikely coincidence. Yeah, is- it never felt like they were being too derogatory or, or shitty to, you know, just his uh, his stature. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I did really appreciate that as well. Um, and then, of course, after the first film, you have the spinoffs. We won't spend too much time on those, but you have Viva La Bam. This ran for five seasons centered around Bam Margera's family, as well as the CK- CKY crew members Ryan Dunn, Brandon DiCamillo, uh, Rob himself, and Rake Yone. Uh, it continued the tradition of more of the pranks and the skateboard video side of things. And then there was Wild Boys with uh, Steve Pontius and Steve O's. Yeah. I loved Wild Boys. I Pontius, thought Wild yeah. Boys was fantastic. That is, I want to rewatch it because. Pontius is so easygoing and Steve-O is such a character. And they're literally, it's, I, there's so many, like, I, I think, uh, what's his name? Coyote Peterson on YouTube right uh-huh. now does the, like, oh, I'm going to let a stingy thing sting me. Oh, but we're going to learn about it. And there's almost like, it feels like, it still feels like an after school, uh, you know, special. Whereas Wild Boys are just two idiots having fun with animals and it's so endearing i really loved that show yeah yeah for sure and and actually it is that show we have to thank for jackass number two because uh the jeff tremaine was directing and johnny knoxville joined them for some of those adventures Mm -hmm. and of course again yeah i think one thing we've left out too is there's all always a lot of stuff involving wild animals or or uh you know gators or snakes or just you know things of that uh, more extreme intense uh, creatures uh, and critters that they would do things with. And that kind of leaned more into that as well as the part where they started traveling to destinations mm-hmm. um, and especially starting with Jackass number two and onward. Even Jackass one, though, they would they would, they took it outside of America as well so they could do certain pranks especially and things like that. But it was on the set of Wild Boys that they started talking about a second movie because they were having so much fun. So this time with Jackass number two, they go bigger. Literally just looking around being like, hey, we're having a lot of fun, but wouldn't it be great if we also earned $5 million yeah, while doing exactly. this? Exactly. Also made an inc- another incredibly cheap to make movie and then just was like bang gangbusters <laughs> at the box office again. Is That would be cool for all of us, right? So they go bigger. I really like that um, in Jackass number two, the stunts are just a little more layered. And we kind of talked about that before, but just feels like there's just a little bit more thought and, and a little less just like just dumb, blunt, mm-hmm. kind of just throw a shopping cart into a tree kind of stuff, which is also always funny. But you've got, you know, Steve-O putting a fish hook through his cheek mm-hmm. and then swimming with sharks. You've got uh, that that prank on Wee Man where they had a professional card thrower throwing cards at his butt crack, but actually he was sitting on an electrified <sighs> stool, and that was the, the real cause. The, of the sheer, I mean, I have to acknowledge this, yes. the sheer giddy, dumb thrill <laughs> when Wee Man's like, 
oh, I got it. Where's the machine? And everyone's like, uh, he's like, where's the card throwing machine? <laughs> and everyone explodes because it's such a pure, yes. innocent, dumb, like just one extra squeeze of so funny. prank juice. And he's more embarrassed about that than mad yes. that they were electrocuting yes. his asshole. They're, he's he's standing there and like the first time you really see someone in this movie like feel deep regret and shame and it's just because he said something dumb, yes. not because his friends physically attacked him. <laughs> uh, also, of course, you have Terror Taxi, who our own uh, Kevin Barnett, rest in peace, called this the best prank he's ever seen. That's when Danger Aaron McGahey, he is doing a prank where uh, he's dressed like a terrorist to get into a cab to go to the airport and freak out the cab driver, but little does he know they hired an actor to play the cab driver. Not just any actor, Jay Chandrasekhar, who's uh, famous from Broken Lizard and Super Troopers, yep. and is a really accomplished director. He's done like uh, a bunch of shit. And he he ends up, you know, it's all fake. He ends up holding McGahey at gunpoint, makes him get into the trunk. Oh, and also his fake beard that they put on him is entirely made up of, of the cast's pubes uh, and taint hair mm-hmm. and butthole hair. And that is just the a- the absolute fucking gut punch after so much just just it's just so brutal Tremaine said the original idea was like all right how can we get someone to eat his own pubic hair now is and I think it was Preston who said what if we make a beard out of it what if we did a bit where we convinced Aaron that we're gonna dress him up as a terrorist and glue his pubic hair all over his face I guess it just went from there just absolutely brutal can I just acknowledge and I'm this might be controversial these movies also have uh Knoxville doing the bad grandpa shtick, yes. and I've never liked it. Yeah, it's always the weak point of the movie. You know, honestly, I liked the I I, I slept on the Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa kind of because of that. Yeah. I do. I will say I love that Spike Jones has done. <laughs> I, I just love that his inclusion in the films yeah. because you just never think of him as like being a person that would do also do the pranks. But I mean, he dresses up like an old lady with his. Oh no, he was great in Three out. Kings. Watch Three Kings if you want to see Spike Jones act his ass. Yeah, he's he's so much fun to watch. It's just so fun to watch him in stuff. But um, I will say, uh, yeah, I kind of for similar reasons slept on Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa and actually ended up really enjoying that. And it was kind of fun. The one where they like get where he gets in the fight with the dudes like on the boardwalk like that was pretty fun. You know, but just more because I was like terror. I was just, you know, it was it felt exhilarating. Yeah, it felt because it was very real. Things like that, but yeah, I, I totally get it. Yeah, the whole like being old and doing stuff, uh, or, or wearing old man costume and doing silly stuff. We're just like, haha, there's some dangly balls in this stranger's cup of coffee. I'm just like, <laughs> that guy didn't want balls in this coffee. I feel bad for that guy. Well, either way, the movie did great, and this is when things start to take more of a turn. The guys start getting older. I think they probably again, they always feel like that their last movie is their last movie ever, essentially, and and they all start moving on in different ways. And, the first big one, of course, and we saw the writing on the wall. I think anybody who was a fan of the group with uh, Steve-O really getting, taking a downward turn. Um, he just, beginning famous so young with that aesthetic of just doing wild shit. Uh, he, you know, the first big sign that he was losing it, February of 2008, they did a 24-hour takeover of MTV. Jackass did uh, the big announcement of their website, jackassworld.com. And uh, Steve-O is kicked out of the building at one point. Apparently, he's later let back in. Margera said, Steve-O was pretty much 24-7 out of his mind. He'd wake up to nitrous balloons, then drink a vodka and grapefruit juice. When your signature drug is, it's not heroin, it's not cocaine, it's fucking nitrous? (laughs) Yeah, it's really crazy. You are on another... 
you are you have you have disobeyed the laws of society to an unheard of degree. Snort a line of Special K and then a line of Coke and then smoke PCB with weed in it. Seriously, anything you can think of, he would do. He was on this path of pure destruction. This was all captured in the documentary Steve O Demise and Rise. I highly recommend it. It's all on YouTube um, because you'll you'll be drawn in by the uh, just absurd footage Mm -hmm. of addiction. I've never seen addiction at such lengths as that footage because, of course, you know usually people don't film their deepest darkest throes of addiction, but Steve O in love with the camera. There's always a camera on him. I mean, before, after, during, he's just cannot stop filming himself and filming and he was just a nightmare i feel so bad for his neighbors at the time he just was a nightmare human and uh there's no other best great way to describe it but definitely watch it because it's also an incredible story of his eventual sobriety and this was sparked by an intervention led by johnny knoxville and jeff tremaine along among other uh members of the jackass crew and they literally just like took him to a hospital and had him admitted and uh, it was just, it's kind of miraculous. I don't think anyone actually thought he was going to turn his life around. And its his story is amazing. He now has, you know, he's got comedy specials. He does a podcast himself. He's great on other people's podcasts. I mean, he has really gone. And he's now been he's sober like, for near on a decade. And now he's point. like it's... vegan. And I don't know if he's vegan, but he's like, he lives incredibly clean and healthy. <laughs> and it's like just so wild to see. And I love it. There's a photo I found on the Jackass subreddit where it's a side-by-side uh, this almost viral photo of Steve-O literally hammered beyond belief, like his eyes are dilated, facing the wrong direction, this death grimace on his face as he's literally hunched over, just piles of empty nitrous canisters, and he's just like, ah, yeah. ah. And then he redid the photo, like, in his sober years, and yes, it's all just, like, totally. broccoli and vegetables. <laughs> and he's just like, and his smile is a more, uh, um, less demonic smile now he seems happy <laughs> producer shanna zablau said it was a blurry line because part of jackass is partying we like to go out and get wasted and have a good time and that line got blurry with steve-o it was part of his persona and what he got paid to do is be that crazy wasted guy but he crossed the line and it wasn't fun anymore it got really dark and scary but it's amazing by the time they get back together for Jackass 3D in 2009, um, they even had no uh, beer on set. Uh, Bam Margera said, it's the first time anybody has put a movie out that's 3D that isn't like Avatar or Clash of the Titans. Instead, you're going to see my dick sneaking up on Chris Bonius while he's sleeping, and then all of a sudden you'll see a yellow piss stream coming out of the screen, and you'll realize it's my dick pissing on Pontius. And uh, yeah, there was this, you know, I say how great they are at heightening. I think this movie really does benefit the most from its 3d and therefore when you watch it at home not in 3d uh you know as is the case with a lot of 3d stuff a lot of it gets lost in and some of that translation because i do remember seeing it on a big screen with dildos literally flying at your face uh it definitely was very impactful in that specific experience and kind of declined in quality every time i watched it since uh at home a noteworthy thing in between two and three was the jackass presents matt hoffman's tribute to evil knievel uh-huh. which was a direct-to-dvd film um that uh famously uh involved in bicycle accident or uh, not a bicycle whatever uh Johnny Knoxville was trying to replicate in a comedic fashion one of uh, Evil Knievel's classic stunts. Uh, It did not go well, and the traumatic damage to his penis required him to catheterize himself twice a day for up to three years to prevent scar tissue from sealing his penis shut. (laughs) Um, When asked about it recently, he said that his penis now resembles uh, hamburger meat because of the accident. (laughs) Yikes. 
Uh, so that, I guess that's a good foray into things taking a little bit of a dark turn here once, once again. Uh, a couple years after Jackass 3D in 2011, Ryan Dunn and his friend Zachary Hartwell left a bar, uh, drove home, and uh, Dunn struck a tree, and it killed both of them. Uh, it's very sad. Ryan Dunn, of course, did struggle with uh, dr- drunk driving and loved cars that went really, really fast and liked driving them really, really fast. Uh, so, But it's still incredibly tragic that that happened. Johnny Knoxville wrote a touching blog post about Dunn, writing about his laugh and how he made you feel so funny when you were around him and how he was also a great listener and someone who was always willing to listen when you were down, but especially his, quote, enormous capacity to love. And he does have that. I think he has, again, brought so much of the quality, like, Bam and Stevo and Knoxville even can all feel kind of like caricatures in a lot of ways or, or these extreme sort of characters whereas Ryan Dunn really brought a humanity I think to the cast and rounded them out with like just such a everyman I think when you watch Jackass you would even potentially put yourself in his perspective right mm. he, he was kind of the you of of the crew and and I think it, the show definitely lost something with the loss of him Bam Margera also soon after his death spoke about he would never recover from the death of his best friend and uh, I at this point I don't think he still has unfortunately as we'll get into some of uh, some of the issues with that uh, as we are closing out this episode with uh, the announcement of Jackass Forever. Filming started in March of 2020, and two days into it, Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville were hospitalized. Unfortunately, a lot of the hubbub, though, surrounding the film does involve the removal of Bam Margera, which is very sad because I it's hard to see Jackass without Bam's involvement. He is such a major player, the head representative of the CKY crew. You know, we lose his parents as well, which I feel like are just always a mainstay of every jackass project um but uh he was mandated to be sober during the filming he was unable to accomplish that and it ended up with him getting taken off the project and uh he also put out a series of rambling since deleted instagram videos you know i was actually even before jackass forever and all this i had been kind of like um in a in maybe a dark way kind of low-key seeing his spiraling happening on instagram he's very very you know just like how steve-o filmed all of his shit mm-hmm. you know these guys love putting their shit out there bam also was very very much so putting a lot of that kind of stuff out there on social media i hate to armchair psycho uh, you know psychotherapy that's a fucking lie it's one of my favorite fucking things <laughs> in the entire world to do Ooh, ooh, i love analyzing strangers based on a narrow window of public behavior mm, yum 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 anyway um that made me sound like an asshole and i it's gonna be in the episode oh well <laughs> Um, <laughs> I am remaining dead silent. No, I'm just kidding, man. Of course, everybody does it, Jake. Yeah. It's okay. You're human. So, in the in the in the in the in the weird mishmash of uh, chemicals that made Jackass what it is, uh, you know, Johnny Knoxville was 27. Pontius was like 25, 26. Uh, Steve-O, these were all older guys that like had tasted failure, that like new obscurity, that got to like truly understand what a gift. Uh, being in Jackass was what a uh, you know kind of they they kind of got to experience they were humbled in a way and then got to experience the height. Margera was 19 when the show started. He literally was just a a, a hotshot skater who then became even more famous, who then had a even longer running TV show, who then had an entire lifestyle brand, who then had you know no matter even more so than Knoxville. Uh, like Knoxville turned into an actor, Bam Margera had to be Bam Margera wherever he went. 
Uh, and so all of his friends, you know, hangers on his entire life was solidified at age 19. Right. And uh, kind of coming to terms with that is tough. Like, you know, it's only been a decline from that height and that can do things to someone. Um, losing Dunn was a real rock to his system. He spent years trying to create this documentary about him called Earth Rocker. And because, um, you know, he was videotaping him and his friends since they were pretty much children. So that's, you know, he claimed that there were like four actual, like in terms of footage of him and his friend together that he had access to, there was like four months of unedited footage of him and his friend being together. And that sister and that like confronting all of that, like seeing him alive and well, like while knowing he was gone was so much for him. But he never had to come back down to earth. Like he never, you know, it's just been a weird, slow decline. And that really kind of, it fucks people up. People started making fun of his weight. He uh, had entire media empires around him. You know, it's it's this very weird mix of like ego uh, never having to be confronted and then having it confronted very suddenly in a big way. Uh, the agreement with uh, Tremaine and Knoxville where he had to be sober and he was, uh, you know, can subjected to constant drug tests on set. He had to take breathalyzers like between shots. Like, um, honestly, kind of when he, if he wasn't ready for recovery, having all of this, you know, people that he thought were his equals all of a sudden, like kind of yeah. being uh, principals and being authority figures and telling him what he can or can't do and kind of lording this over him when it was his hard work and his weird energy and teen vision that made this empire what it was, I, I can totally understand how he would want to lash back out at this. And there's lawsuits and countersuits and all these things happening. His family life is a little bit rocky right now. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very bad. <laughs> like, it, it's it's for someone who has millions and millions of dollars and a immortal brand that will forever be associated with a point in time in American culture... I feel bad for him. Oh, yeah. And um, it's the movies. It's unfortunate. I'm terrified that the final product is going to be like just awkward edits around the seat around Bam. Or just I think we'll, we'll it definitely feel the app between Ryan Dunn and Bam not, you know, not being there. We're going to feel the absence of the CKY uh, of that Westchester, every every house, kind of every neighborhood vibe that we got all through uh, the Jackass franchise. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, I will say there were, um, you know, everyone else from the main gang is in the film, and there are some new additions, including Jasper Dolphin from Odd Future, uh, the Odd Future group who did, who had their own kind of prank stunt sketch show on Adult Swim. A minor step up from the Three Six Mafia in the yeah. early movies. <laughs> uh, Tyler, the creator, will also make a cameo appearance in the film as well. Uh, YouTube stunt bro Zach Holmes as well. He essentially has been the guy taking, carrying the torch forward in a big way. Check out his crazy stunts on YouTube and Instagram. He's become a huge deal and uh, Steve-O recognized him because he's kind of on the Steve-O level of like, he would like strap firecrackers to himself and set them off and crazy stuff like that. There are guest appearances from folks like Eric Andre, Tony Hawk, Matt Hoffman, glad that they are back in the mix, as well as Machine Gun Kelly. Some of the new, some of the old, very cool to see um, that, that and the regard that they have with, you know, because that definitely Eric Andre, especially people like that were high, an odd future, highly inspired inspired by Jackass, I would say. It is set to release now theatrically in February of 2022. 
after multiple delays. And of course, COVID had a big hand in that. Uh, a couple more things as we wrap things up. I do love that according to CNET, Nova Legal Funding added up all the medical bills from the gang and it totaled to around $24,263,000, spanning 79 injuries between just the six stars. And that if you added the other members in there, it would be more like $38 million over time, which is fucking absurd. I mean, listen. Stunts going bad, people getting hurt for the sake of show business is as I'm going to say it's as old as ye old timey music halls. Um, Every kung fu movie. Hell, even we talked about this in our Back to the Future. Back to the Future Part Two has in the movie a woman getting her neck snapped. And that made the cut of the film like there's uh, the world of stunts is a brutal world. And um, it's just these are the guys that like you actually get to know their names when they get hurt. The PlayStation 2 game. Obviously, yes. everyone's been asking about it. Uh, yes, it's made with the same 3D engine as Grand Theft Auto 3, uh, Vice City, and uh, uh, San Andreas. So everyone looks like weird GTA versions of themselves, and it's not very fun. <laughs> and the DS game is even worse. Whatever. Yes, we've all talked about. We all want to know about the game. But also, I think what uh, really impacts, the, really brings the whole cultural room, ties the whole cultural room together, is their use of music. Uh, we talked about CKY and that one song that you hear in every like stunt video, like alternate, alternate And I did mention the Minutemen song Corona, but it really is just so perfect to open up uh, the episode. And it's so synonymous with Jackass. Uh, but yes, the Minutemen, a punk rock band out of San Pedro, California. They had a major hand in the creation of the alternative rock and post-hardcore genres. Definitely check out the Minutemen. Then there's all that party stuff. We Want Fun by Andrew WK. Let's Get Fucked Up by the Smut peddlers <laughs> all those songs just look up those jackass soundtracks are actually fantastic if you just want to go back to that you can listen to them on spotify Absolutely. Uh-huh. press the flesh unless this episode comes out after our contract with spotify is expired in that case don't or maybe do i don't know life's tough guys we're just doing our best and and i mentioned giant knoxville's relative roger allen wade who handed him a copy of on the road by jack kerouac which majorly inspired him to go off to hollywood and try all this crazy shit uh yeah that uh that artist has a song called if you're gonna be dumb and it really i feel like it's just the perfect song to play at the end of those movies it perfectly i feel like summarizes the heart and the insanity and the ridic- the on-purpose ridiculousness. Um, just the vibe of that song, I just think is so perfect for Jackass and always makes me weirdly sentimental. So I think we'll close out the episode with a little clip from that song, a little segment of that. And uh, before we do... I just want to say thanks for joining us for our Jackass episode. Uh, this has been awesome. This is my first episode back from maternity leave. I'm so excited to be here. Check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Ho. For now, I'm definitely just doing the Friday Jackin with the Holdies stream, but I will be also coming back with more Monday and Tuesday streams. Uh, also, please check us out, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. If you'd like to support us further, $5 a month, you get bonus weekly episodes for $15 a month. You can hang out like last time we watched the Jackass movie together and it was an absolute blast i do want to say for research just want to throw it out there especially to jackass and oral history on maxim.com the maxim magazine did one and vice as well vice did an oral history of jackass the movie those were incredibly helpful got a lot of quotes that you heard today from those articles definitely check those out if you want to hear more uh yeah i think that's all i got jake uh hey folks listen Listen, I got a YouTube channel. It's called <laughs> YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared. I do streams 
every week, uh, but the, all the VODs are there. And I know for a fact, there's at the very least 18,000 of you listening at this exact, I know a lot of people skip out by the time we get to the plugs, that's fine. 18,000 people of you, I need exactly 300 of you to go and subscribe to this channel so I can get my monetization on. Maybe watch it, who cares? I don't even care anymore, maybe don't watch it. Just go click the subscribe button on that. YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared. I think the streams are very good. I recently did a tier list of the top 20 hits of 2011. Uh, I just dominated some chumps all over the place in Jackbox Trivia Murder Party. Really, just owned them. My brain is so powerful, Holden. I believe it. And I do it as a as a hilarious little purple man, uh, and that's all fun, too. YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared. That's the call to action. That's your CTA. Hell yeah. Hit that subscribe button. Like and subscribe. Please. Uh, and here is If You're Gonna Be Dumb by Roger Allen Wade. Take care, everybody. If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough When you get knocked down, you gotta get back up I ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know enough to know If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.